What's up, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Falcons Final Whistle podcast recorded here at Ticketmaster Studios. I'm Scott Baer. That's Tori McElhaney. And we have a new member of the group. I do. Taryn Walk is here. Everyone, Yay. very exciting stuff. Making her final whistle debut. You didn't uh, mess my name up. Miracle. Uh, You're turning a little red. You got close, I bet. Unbeknownst, I was so worried about it. <laughs> I've, I've been mispronouncing Taryn's name, calling her Taryn Wack for a long time. But it's not whack. It's definitely not whack. It's It's whack. Which is whack. Which is, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Um, We are here to both introduce Taryn to our Falcons Final Whistle family and also to talk about the initial 53-man roster that was just announced on Tuesday afternoon. We have a roster that started at 90, is now at 53. Now look, there's going to be some roster moves in the coming days. They're going to have a 16-man practice squad. Um, there will be some flux. We know from Terry Fontenot's transaction list. Which is just so long. So long <laughs> that there will be moves made after this. Yeah. And as Taryn pointed out in her story, it's about what's the roster going to look like on September 10th when they play the Carolina Panthers. So as we first kind of take a look at what we have here, right? Um any kind of initial thoughts about what you think about when you look at this piece of paper, which, by the way, Taryn wrote and color-coded. Which we appreciate. Which we appreciate. Yeah. So I think just initially what jumps out to me is something that Arthur Smith said way back in May, before we ever even got to the draft. I I sat down with him, and he made the comment even then that this was going to be a hard 53-man roster to make. And I think the roster that we initially see in front of us right now kind of backs that up because as we were kind of talking before we even hopped on there aren't really that many surprises here there's no one who i'm kind of looking at like mind blown that they're either not on the roster they are on the roster and so i think that speaks to to what arthur smith said months and months ago and i think that kind of backs it up to what he saw in may is kind of coming to fruition now that we're in august and we're actually seeing a 53-man roster cut down yeah, and, and Taryn was actually saying before we started recording that I don't have any hot takes. And that's probably because there aren't any to have with the way that it's constructed, right? Or it's because I didn't follow this team nearly as close <laughs> last season. So I don't know have a 53 to compare it to from last year. I think the biggest surprise would be Jalen Mayfield, which Tori wrote about already on Saturday. So that one was over and done with. That right, shock yeah. was that shock has worn off. The band-aid was pulled off and and you yeah. kind of knew what what that meant for for a 53-man roster cut coming on on Tuesday. Yeah, and as you look at so there are some names that fans are familiar with who are on the cut list. Mm-hmm. Tight end Parker Hesse is one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Iowa guy converted defensive lineman to tight end. One of those blue-collar dudes who does the things right that don't show up in the stat sheet. He's been very valuable for this team. Yeah. But the omission is at some point there are too many tight ends than they have roster spots to allocate two tight ends. They end up going with Kyle Pitts and Johnny Smith, obviously. Um, Michael Pruitt. Michael Pruitt and John Fitzpatrick. Yep. Which I'm not surprised John Fitzpatrick made the jump over Parker Hesse. He was one of my bubble guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't say surprise because, again – don't have the, all the background as y'all do, but from this preseason alone, I thought John Fitzpatrick kind of showed he can be a threat in the passing game, and especially since he's larger, where that would be a good thing to keep around. Mm-hmm. I think, too, and this was a point that I made when I did my initial 53-man roster 
prediction. When did we run that? Uh, like a few before days. I got here. No, the the second one, which the, was earlier in the week. I yeah, guess, our, Friday. Or Friday. Saturday. Yeah, it, it was after the final and you preseason took some game. Heat. I did. I took a lot of heat for that, and I would just like to go on the record that my that my roster was not that far off. Thank you, but I will add. About this whole conversation about John Fitzpatrick versus Parker Hesse, if you only have four spots that you're you're playing around with, to me, and this is not a knock to Parker Hesse, and I don't want it to be taken as such, but if I'm a team elsewhere that's hungry for tight ends, to me, John Fitzpatrick and the way he plays the game and also the look that he has and being a, even though it's, he's a former seventh round draft pick, he's still a draft pick, if he hits waivers, in comparison to Parker Hesse hitting waivers, I feel like you maybe lose a chance at bringing John Fitzpatrick back on the practice squad in a way that I don't necessarily feel the exact same way about Parker Hesse. I think there's a really good chance that we could see Parker Hesse on a practice squad again at some point. Now, is that 100% going to happen? No, we don't know. There's a lot of game tape there's, on him doing some good stuff. Exactly. So there's a lot that there's a lot to, to kind of weigh here, but when I'm just going through and weighing things, that's kind of how I made the decision to to put John Fitzpatrick on, on this 53-man roster. Did you put John Fitzpatrick on your version 2? Because I'll red receipt you. Version 1, you did not have him on there. No, I know, and but I did on version 2. Okay. Yeah, and to look at another guy that I think I would assume if I was the GM that I would want on the practice squad is a guy like Timmy Horn. He was an undrafted guy last year. He was an important part of a defensive line rotation when he got the opportunity. Um, and that's a name that people know. Right. But when you look at it, there's still seven defensive linemen on this roster, including some guys that over the course of the preseason, a guy like Albert Huggins, who has connections to Ryan Nielsen, that you can see how and why that was the selection at that spot. Ultimately, they're going to bring defensive linemen to you in waves. We've even heard hockey-style line changes. Right. For that, you need lots of dudes. And I think that ultimately, I thought maybe seven or what Tori had said is eight. I was like, oh, that seems pretty high. But with this group and some of the guys that play end versus yeah. interior guys versus the outside edge linebackers, that there's a bunch of different roles that all, I think, ultimately kind of fit in here. And while we can sit here and we can talk about, okay, well, they, they kept five wide receivers and six cornerbacks right there's going to be some flux mm -hmm. in there a little bit but i think four safeties is pretty safe so when you look at the demarco hellams versus micah abernathy situation yeah. they go with the seven seventh round draft pick out of alabama i thought micah had a good camp yeah i really did that was probably That's... one of the toughest cuts that i think when i'm looking at this 53 men that the whole demarco hellams versus micah abernathy and i know that was such a big point of conversation for us the three of us when when we're going into kind of the last week of the preseason it's like what do you do here do you actually carry five safeties I was always kind of under the impression that no you don't carry five safeties mm -hmm. and and it was gonna boil down to do you take DeMarco Hellams who showed up time and time and time again in the preseason or you do do you go with Micah Abernathy who has been in the league for a little bit longer played in a few different systems and also, let's be honest, we, we were all out at training camp. He took a vast majority of those second team reps alongside Jalen Hawkins up until the very last week of the preseason when I think DeMarco Hellams kind of 
not established himself, but kind of because he actually did get a lot of reps with Jalen Hawkins in that third preseason game. And I think that was the moment where it really clicked for me that it was like, okay, like DeMarco's really making a a solid case for himself. And if the Falcons are are truly not going to carry five, by the time it got to who are you putting on your 53-man, I thought DeMarco Helms really played his way onto this 53-man roster. I would have been surprised if he got the boot. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. and that has nothing to do with my Alabama allegiance. <laughs> <laughs> and he had back-to-back games with picks. Right, yeah, that right. is showing up when it matters. And a leading tackler, and I think two of the three, or a top tackler in all three of Definitely. the preseason games. And he's going to play a ton on special teams, mm-hmm. and he's a f- ferocious kind of physical player. Ferocious, mm-hmm. and that's a good. Uh, thing to have on guys who are going to play on every single special team. You've written a ton about Logan Woodside. <laughs> Logan Woodside is <laughs> on the quarterback. Logan Woodside is is on this roster as a third quarterback, which in recent seasons was sort of unconventional. Right. But mm-hmm. with the new rule that a quarterback on the fifty three man roster can be ruled inactive but come into a game if the first two quarterbacks are hurt. But only if he's on the 53-man roster. Not a practice squad Not a practice Because right. a practice squad elevation does not count towards that designation. I love that italics. Right. Yeah. <laughs> In a rule. Yeah. But he, not only are they taking advantage of that rule, I think that Logan kind of proved himself okay. and said, you can't take me off. bias, but Logan did what he needed to do when he was asked to do it. Yeah. Granted, they didn't win that last game. And the one before ended in a tie, but you saw him in that first one move the ball, mm-hmm. pull off the win, and he didn't throw a single interception throughout the whole thing. Yeah. I was going back through and I was looking at Logan Woodside's stats. And even though, you know, you're right, there were no interceptions, there were also no touchdowns. Yeah. The, the Falcons weren't really getting into the end zone hardly at all in the preseason, which is, you know, I feel like a typical preseason problem for a lot of teams and or not even a problem, but mm-hmm. it's just how things go. But he completed 42 of his 60 passes. He had 400 passing yards and he averaged a nine and a half yards per attempt. And I think all of those numbers speak to his ability to go going back to what you were saying of like being able to move the ball effectively. Now, was it effective inside the 20? No. No, because the Falcons didn't score that much. But, again, it's the preseason. And I think because of Logan Woodside's history with someone like Arthur Smith, he knows this offense. Him and Arthur Smith were together for a couple years at Tennessee. I think that means a lot as well when you're trying to think of, okay, who are you keeping? If someone knows the scheme really, really well, you trust them. Trust goes a long way on this 53-man roster. And then, of course, you have to talk about the emergency quarterback role because I think that kind of changes your thought process as to how many quarterbacks you carry going into this season. I'll be curious to see how many teams keep a third with that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to try to take advantage of that. But normally, if you're on your third if you're on your third quarterback in a game as a team, you're in massive <laughs> yeah, trouble. Yeah. I think and this isn't a hot take, but I think if Logan Woodside goes into a game for you, mm-hmm. he can manage his way through it. I right. think in terms of teams that should feel comfortable with the group and depth at quarterback that they have, let's not forget all these guys are quote-unquote unheralded. Desmond Ritter, third-round pick. Taylor Heineke, bounced-around undrafted guy. Uh, Toledo's own Logan Woodside <laughs> finds a way to make this 53-man roster. Uh, interesting group, blue-collar group, but I think an effective and impactful group where you you do have um, some confidence in it. What about, you know, like keeping five wide receivers? You, you only kept three running backs. Anything in terms of the roster construction, especially with like with the skill players that maybe didn't surprise you, but 
hey, like they're going to roll with these, like with like these guys. I mean, five receivers probably seems fair. Yeah, I I think I carried six in my prediction, and I think I carried, I I had Drake London, Kaderil Hodge, Mac Hollins, Scotty Miller, Josh Ali, who all made this fifty three man, and I also had JJ. Arthago Whiteside, which I kind of thought was a, a surprising uh, cut. I don't think that means that we'll, we won't see him again. And you have to think of like how practice squad elevations are sometimes used. I think a lot of times you can use them on skill guys, on mm-hmm. you know, leading into the games on Saturdays and guys who can help you on special teams. And I think I think that when you are constructing it, it's like again, it goes back to the argument that I made about John Fitzpatrick versus Parker Hesse. Who do you think can get through? waivers and you can keep them on this practice squad well with jj ortega whiteside he was just released so he can sign at any point with anybody Mm -hmm. so it does that make it easier for you than having to waive someone like josh ali right and that's something that terry fontenot does he uses rosters and transactions in a smart and deliberate way. Mm-hmm. And I think that all these thoughts weigh into, especially with really close position battle type yeah. things. Um, just as another piece of news, uh, Penny Hart ends up on injured reserve, mm-hmm. which they can sign an injury settlement at some point, but it's season ending. He's not eligible to return if he's on IR along with Cornell Armstrong mm-hmm. um, if you're not on that initial 53-man roster. Um, generally speaking, and Look, the answer is yes when I say, is this Falcons roster better than it was a year ago? Obviously. They don't have salary cap stuff. They were able to spend a bunch of money on high-priced free agents. Calais Campbell is on this team now. But in terms of it being competitive, we saw it play out. Now what about quality, especially in relation to the NFC South? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the point of, you had money to spend this off season. Oh, they spent it, and they yeah, spent. They most certainly and did. they spent it as as well they should because you have to. But that's something that they haven't had over the last two years. And so when you're talking about the 53 man rosters over the course of the last two years, it was really interesting to go back and look and see some of the names that were on those rosters in comparison to the names that are on this one. This one feels a bit more concrete. Obviously, there's going to be fluctuation on the bottom end of rosters there always is Mm -hmm. people are going to go on and off IR that's always going to be something that happens but I think when you're looking at this this roster where it is at this this point in time with this initial 53 man it's like you know a lot of you knew going in that a lot of these guys were already locks because of how much the Falcons were paying them Mm -hmm. and I I think that goes back to another point that that I made in my like initial analysis of the the 53-man roster is that you're not relying on a lot of guys that you drafted in the same way that you were in 21 and 22. You think about guys like Jalen Mayfield. You think about guys like Darren Hall. Mm -hmm. These are guys who played a lot in their first two years with the Falcons. They started games. They're not on this 53-man roster at this point in time. That, it, to me, speaks to the work that you put in. If you're putting more money into free agents and you're going out and getting some guys that you're and you're re-signing some guys that you want back and you're giving a lot of money there, that means that you're shifting your depth in mm-hmm. a way where you're not relying so heavily on young guys. Now, I'm saying that, but you're still going to have Bajon Robinson out there, Tyler Algier, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, but these are your 
premium type mm-hmm. guys. You know, three of the four that I just named are first round draft picks. So it kind of mm-hmm. changes the way that you look at how you're relying on certain players. Yeah, and don't hold this against Taryn, but what? before she me before she uh, came over here, she covered the Saints. Yes. for the New Orleans papers. Uh, and you've seen a lot of NFC South football, the Saints up close, but obviously It's all Bucks. glorious, right? Yeah, so I mean, in relation to kind of what you know about New Orleans, what you've seen out of Carolina and Tampa, I think the Falcons can be super competitive within the structure of this division. Well, I looked mainly at the defense for this case because – you have Ryan Nielsen here who was with the Saints last year. And everyone always talked about the New Orleans Saints defensive line being one of the stronger ones, not only in the NFC South, but in the league in general because they've always been big bodies and able to dominate the line. Well, now you have their defensive line coach here in charge of the defense as a whole. I've always thought and said that Ryan Nielsen has a brilliant defensive mind. And so now that he's able to paint a bigger picture and have a broader brush with the whole defense rather than just the line, I'm curious as to how far he can go with it. And you even mentioned with the hockey lines, essentially, Mm -hmm. you that is something that New Orleans even did where they were rotating guys out. So they were fresh, big. You just kept having a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. And that is something you can do here now because the line right now, the starters are huge. If you have the backups who are also huge, there's no fall off when somebody does go down or does need to take a break in general. So and that speaks to to kind of what I think the front office put a lot of time and thought and resources in. I think it was Kyle Smith. It may have been Terry Fontenot said at one point, they're like, a goal of this offseason was for us to get bigger at the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. particularly pumping money and resources into this defensive line. And we see that. We've talked about it before. Going out and getting Calais Campbell, David Onyemata, bringing back Grady Jarrett to Quan Graham, signing Zach Harrison or drafting Zach Harrison. All of that, Bud Dupree. I mean, I could go on and on, but it, it, it really does speak to, I think, setting a goal and an expectation of what you want it to be and then doing it. And and we're kind of seeing the effects of that within a 53-man roster. Yeah, where in previous years, because of a number of, of factors... Lots the, of injuries last year. <laughs> the, but the Falcons, to that point, the Falcons could not survive an injury plague. Right. When they lost Casey Hayward and, and A.J. Uh, Terrell, mm-hmm. it, it got not good for that secondary. Wait, well, I think about it this way. Taquan Graham, if we're talking about the defensive line, Taquan Graham and Grady Jarrett in that interior, when Taquan Graham goes out, you have to rely on guys who were either on one-year deals or guys that they had picked up off the street. And guys that are still on the street right now. Right now, Which yeah. is absolutely mind-blowing. So I think that, that they've created the depth required to deal with Look, setbacks are going to happen. Injuries are going to happen. I think they're better equipped to survive those. We're we're seeing it right now with Jeff Okuda suffering that ankle injury. Well, you've got Trey Flowers, who started a bunch of games in this league. And ultimately, I think that's why when I look at it and when eventually, I'm sure Taryn will color code a depth chart. And like when you get that depth chart, (laughs) (laughs) that that it'll look much stronger not not only in relation to years past but in relation to the competition that and that's what happens when you have money to spend exactly money talks uh-huh and we I are gonna say s- can't buy happiness <laughs> <I> sure can <laughs> um and i think that is unless we have any other 
thoughts? No, I think we're good. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well then guys, thank you so much for downloading and or, and or watching the Falcons oh, final whistle or podcast. listening or listening. There's so many different ways yeah. that you can find us. I forgot this was viewable. <laughs> <laughs> Please rate, review, subscribe to the Atlanta Falcons podcast network and to our super duper awesome sauce YouTube page. I'm Scott. That's Taryn. <laughs> that's Tori. We will talk to you again real, real soon. See ya.